today, um, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about what I, what I talked about last week, because it ties very much into uh, looking forward to the High Holy Days, as well as what we're talking about in 1 John, about uh, uh, we love because he first loved us, uh, and, uh, and how we can be a blessing uh, to others. It's a very important part of our walk with the Lord, is to think about being a blessing to others. Uh, it's interesting that in, uh, traditionally, when you come to the High Holy Days, what you're thinking about is uh, forgiveness of, uh, of one another. Uh, not just simply, am I right with you, God? Am I right with you? But being right with God comes in the context of being right with one another. Uh, and um, uh, so therefore, it, it makes sense uh, to think about uh, this issue of being a blessing to one another. So uh, the, uh, the retreat that we were on had as its theme verse Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. Now for the few of you that were there, uh, uh, this will be a, a little bit of a review, not completely, not completely, but for, for all of us, uh, since uh, you know almost all of us were not there, uh, uh, hopefully this will be a good lead-in uh, to, uh, to the holidays. Okay. Uh, in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 13, it says there, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And then the next couple of verses say, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. All right, so the first thing we want to understand is this issue about freedom, uh, what that means. You know, uh, in our, uh, the context of our country, when we talk about freedom, uh, when we talk about like freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of assembly, and, and all those kinds of things, Really, when you go back into uh, American history, uh, and we talk about freedom, it is an individual, very much an individualized freedom. Uh, it is very much a, uh, a you know, the, the king or the government can't push me around and tell me what to do, right? Uh, the, you know, sort of being free from the king of England, uh, you know, free... Uh, uh, from uh, the uh, austere rule of, uh, of Britain, right? Uh, and, uh, and so freedom, uh, oftentimes when we think it is, don't bother me. I can do what I want because I have rights, right? I have rights and freedom and rights are like, uh, have a symbiotic relationship. Like they're, they're absolutely connected, all right? I have the so if we say uh, uh, I think about it, uh, I have free. I'm I'm free to say what I want. I have the right to say what I want. I uh, I am free to uh, assemble. You know, with like-minded people. I have the right to assemble like like uh, like-minded people, uh, and and so on and so forth. You know. And so in our culture, freedom and having rights are almost like identical, okay? So sometimes we 
read that into the text of the Bible. And that so when we read about being free, it means I have the right now. Now that I know the Lord, I have the right to do whatever I want to do uh, because I can always say the Lord led me. You know, I always got that in my I got I got that in my back pocket, right? Uh, as uh, it's sort of like the opposite of what if you remember Flip Wilson, right? All right? He used to always say the devil made me do it, right? He say the spirit made me do it. I can't say anything, right? Uh, and so we equate rights, spirituality. Freedom, it's like all in the, all in the same cauldron, <laughs> right? Uh, and we like, to stir, we like to stir them up. And so therefore, uh, oftentimes when uh, we're talking about um, liberality, liberty in the Bible, it's another word that's used, it's used more in 1 Corinthians, the word liberty, um, or the word uh, freedom, we associate it with my rights as a believer. I have my own personal relationship with God, and so no one can tell me uh, this is right or this is wrong because I have my own personal relationship uh, with, uh, with God. And so we need to be very careful uh, so that we can understand what does the Bible mean when we talk about being free. What we're going to see is that it is kind of a distortion to think of freedom as rights, spiritually. Uh, we often do it uh, because that is the context of our, of our lives. In a sense, our, our American frame of reference, right, is, is kind of pull yourself up by the bootstraps and don't let people tell you what to do. And as long as you're not hurting other people, uh, you know, show kindness to people, no doubt, but, uh, 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 you know, I have the, the, the right to this, the right to that, and the right to be free. Uh, and so, uh, while all that may be true in our, in our national experience, our national experience is not the biblical experience. It's not the Bible. Uh, and it's important for us to understand it. So the first thing we need to understand is our... See, already it's so different from last week. It's... It's not even what I said last when, when at, at the uh, at the retreat, but something that I think that in a, in a bigger in a bigger way we need to get. So when we talk about our frame of reference of freedom, what does that mean? Okay. Well, first of all, uh, you're dealing here with uh, uh, an issue that was going on. Okay, you're you're dealing here with an issue that was going on with the Galatians. And so, in order to understand what freedom means here, we need to understand a little bit what's going on in, uh, in uh, Galatia. Now, when Joel Willits was here, he was very helpful to us in understanding the issues in, in Galatians. Uh, and uh, most of us may be familiar with it, but without taking all the time, just a brief, quick little overview. So, these uh, Galatian people, like all Gentiles, uh, uh, were in a little bit of a conundrum. You know, uh, kind of like the opposite of today. Today, when a Jewish person comes to faith in Yeshua, there's this identity issue that, especially in the United States, this identity issue that we, uh, we all face, whether, it's, uh, whether it is on the surface or below the surface. And that is, am I still Jewish? I live in a, in a you know, I believe in a way that 99% of the people that believe this way are not Jewish. 
more than 99%, I'm sure, uh, are not Jewish. Uh, and so, therefore, uh, uh, what do I do? Well, uh, uh, you know, for many of us here, the Messianic movement uh, in, our own, like, in our own universe has always been. But it has not always been. It has not always been this way. Uh, where there is an opportunity uh, to uh, go to a place where I can live out my Jewish identity uh, in somewhat of a normative kind of way. I, I know that my own personal experience, when I became a Messiah follower, when I became a believer in Yeshua, there were no Messianic congregations. But I never even heard of a Messianic congregation. For Well, I had never attended one for three years, almost three years after I became a believer. Uh, and, uh, uh, and what I heard was not so good. Because in those days, it was like the, the Wild West of the Messianic movement, you know? Uh, and, um, uh, and so, my understanding was that I was told by certain people, and it is still propagated today, that, if you, that now that you're a believer in Yeshua, you're Jewish, you don't stop being Jewish, but you're not under the law. And so, therefore, uh, uh, it's sort of like this. Let's go to the restaurant... And eat the ham so I know you're saved. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that you're not under the law. All right? Uh, and uh, uh, that was sort of like the mentality. That uh, the only... And for many years before any of us knew the Lord, for Jewish people, the only expression, the only option was to uh, go to a local church and... And know you're Jewish, you know, and have your whole history, you know, how you grew up and everything, but no expression, zero expression. Uh, and uh, one's children, most, most of the time one's spouse and children would not be Jewish and growing up in a totally non-Jewish environment, and so it would all be lost. Uh, and uh, this was true in the lives of many of the pillars of the of not that there was no messianic movement, the Hebrew Christian movement, whatever terminology you want to use, going back to uh, certainly in modern, sort of modern times, going back to the late 1800s and the early uh, 20th century, and for, for all intents and purposes, the majority of the 20th century, uh, that was the case. Some real scholars, like uh, I, none of these names would mean anything to you, but um, maybe one. Uh, there was a guy named Charles Feinberg. Anybody ever hear of Charles Feinberg? Okay. Yeah. Charles Feinberg was a, a, a Messianic, a, a, Jew, a, Jew, well, a Jewish believer in, in Yeshua. And uh, he was a master of languages. Uh, I know that he went to Johns Hopkins and had like several PhDs in some type of Middle Eastern studies and languages of some sort. Uh, and, uh, and he got his theological, he became a believer and he got his theological training at Dallas, a theological seminary. And he had no, uh, his only option in terms of being like a, uh, a teacher, uh, um, uh, you know, a PhD uh, uh, candidate, a professor in a, in a seminary, was to basically no longer have a Jewish identity. And, I, I, and we would not appreciate him today because his writings would not resonate so much with us because of that. But we need to appreciate those people. A guy like him today, 
If he was here today, it'd be a whole different story. Uh, and there are others like him. Going back, in, back into the 1800s, uh, uh, there was a man by the name of Adolf Safir. I think it's S-A-P-H-I-R, I think. Another one. These were like uh, Hebrew scholars that wrote great things that are often now no longer published and so on. But they lived in a world, they lived in, a, in the Christian world and, and uh, were lost to the Jewish people, see? So thinking about that and coming to the book of Galatians, uh, you had, in a way, the opposite situation, in a way, in Galatia. That when Gentiles, when, when Jewish people came to know the Lord, they were still Jews, they were surrounded by Jews, the norm was a, a Jewish expression. But when Gentiles would become believers, they, they were in this like quandary. They were no longer pagans. They were no longer pagans. They weren't uh, doing uh, grotesque sacrifices. They weren't uh, now worshiping uh, you know, other gods. But they weren't Jews either. So there was, like, there was no designation yet <laughs> you know, for that category. So they weren't pagans and they weren't Jews. So you can understand from a very human point of view the attraction to becoming circumcised. Becoming circumcised, you ever notice that in, in, um, in, all, in almost all of the New Covenant, in the writings part, not in the, you don't read it so much in the Gospels, but in the writings part, and even in the prophets, the word circumcision and uncircumcision are not simply anatomical designations. It refers to ethnicity. It refers to an ethnic identity, okay? Becoming circumcised meant becoming Jewish. Being uncircumcised meant being of the nations, see? And so you had a group of people that uh, came to this uh, community in Galatia and were telling the people that you need to become Jewish. It's great that you believe in Yeshua, and it's great that you have the Ruach, but you need to become Jewish. And Paul uh, was very uh, upset over this because that kind of teaching, in a way, negates the uniqueness of the work of Yeshua. Because in uh, that day, you certainly had God-fearers. You had people who were Gentiles that would uh, basically become Jewish. Uh, perhaps they, they were not circumcised, but th they identified with the Jewish people. And the reality is, is that these uh, uh, Gentiles uh, had forsaken one way of life, and to think that taking on another way of life was going to give them life was basically substituting one set of rules for another set of rules where life comes from the Messiah, where life comes from Yeshua. And the testimony, whether one is Jewish or not Jewish, of a Messiah follower is the presence of the Ruach in our midst. See? And that is uh, what was taking place here. Uh, and, the, uh, and that certainly does uh, indeed... Uh, speak, uh, you know, speak to us 
uh, as, uh, as well. That the testimony that we have is a unity, but we could call it a differentiated unity. The uh, unity that we have is this concept where you have different kinds of people blessing each other. And it goes all the way back to creation. It goes all the way back to creation. You know, if you go back to uh, Genesis chapter 1, in verse 27, And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's a very strange statement when you just read it. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So mankind is composed of two different kinds of people, male and female. And the goal is not some androgynous person, right? That's not the goal. Uh, the goal is from birth. God made us male and female, and he blessed them. Now, I, I can see this is going down a whole different road. That's okay, okay? I, I, the first time we read about God blessing men, says he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, okay? That's a fascinating statement because... He blessed them in that we know, we all know, it takes a man and a woman to be fruitful and multiply. A man cannot be fruitful and multiply all by himself. And uh, or a man or men cannot be fruitful and multiply all by him or themselves. Women, a woman or women cannot be fruitful and multiply all by her or themselves. But a male and female must, uh, the only, it's the only way God uh, 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 says, obviously, be fruitful and multiply, it comes from male and female. Okay? Now, that is very important. Uh, I'm not saying, nor does this mean, do not, put, don't, do not load this verse up with things that it's not saying. Okay? It's not saying that no one can ever be blessed by God unless they have children or they're married, uh, or anything like that. That's not what it's saying. But it is giving us a paradigm. It's giving us a model of blessing. That blessing comes from a differentiated unity. Okay? And God desires to bless this world. But he does so most often through human beings blessing each other. Okay? So, if you go back to Genesis chapter 12 for a minute, you could say this. In the previous chapters, by the way, we cover this in our MSI Torah course. In the previous chapters, you see God's desire to bless, but mankind continually messes up, and then the blessings get all twisted up. And so finally, when we come to the 12th chapter... What God does is he says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a person and I am going to have him be the father of a people who will be my representative blessing in this world and will ultimately bring the ultimate blessing, which of course is, you know, the Messiah and so on and so forth, but that he's going to be the father of a people who are going to bless the nations. And the nations are going to 
bless this people. And this then will be, uh, again, the paradigm. Okay? So if you look in the third chapter, in uh, chapter uh, 12 and verse 2, wow, verse 2, who cares about Genesis 12 verses 1 and 2? It's all in verse 3. No, it is not all in verse 3. Uh, notice, you see, verse 1 is God tells him what to do. Go and follow me. Follow me, right? And then you see in verse 2 of chapter 12, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and so you shall be a blessing. Okay, so God calls Abraham to be a blessing. All right, God will bless him and he's called to be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so we see here, now this will begin to play out here, that uh, of uh, people blessing one another, uh, and uh, ultimately by the time you get to the end of the book of Genesis, you see that Israel is blessing, Israel in the person of Joseph is blessing Egypt. And while we may not recognize it or not, Egypt blesses Israel. How does Egypt bless Israel? Well, it seems that they went there with approximately 70 people, and they grew into a nation of millions in Egypt. Uh, and you read very carefully, they, they dwelt in the land of Goshen, a very prosperous uh, part of, uh, of Egypt. But you see again this model, this uh, paradigm of a mutual blessing. And you know, when you go all the way to, um, to the very end, to the very end, meaning uh, the future, meaning uh, when uh, we live in a restored world, turn to Isaiah chapter 19. Isaiah 19. In verse 22, it says, and this is talking about the future. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking but healing, so they will return to the Lord and he will respond to them and will heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrians will come into Egypt and the Egyptians into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third party with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Wow! So it seems that at the end... We don't become just one big blob where uh, this is the first thing to notice. We don't all become Israel. The the Egyptians are not Jews, nor are the Assyrians, but they're worshiping the God of Israel. And the blessing is in this differentiated mutual blessing, this differentiated unity of, of the Egyptians, the Assyrians, and the Israelites, one in Messiah. And the blessing is maintaining one's personal identity, yet at the same time being unified with those that naturally we would never have anything to do with. And that is a tremendous testimony, right? That is a tremendous testimony. Uh, 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 So getting back to Galatians, boy, there's a lot of illustrations in this world we could give for that. But if you go back to Galatians, what Paul is saying is, is that the freedom that we have in Messiah, which, which we'll define in a moment, is not freedom now to become like, every, like, like, uh, like the Jewish people, to become Jewish. But the freedom is to be able to bless one another. The freedom is to be able to testify that we're one in Messiah together. 
That is what is so radical and unusual. See? And so we, uh, we, you know, we need to really um, uh, uh, appreciate, uh, appreciate that. I, you know, years ago, um, I spoke uh, to a confirmation class at one of the Reformed synagogues here in town. And I was invited to, uh, you know, it was one of those things where I was kind of like the foil. You know, I was kind of like, let the kids ask me a bunch of questions, and I'll answer them. And then, of course, you know, the next week, the teacher, uh, you know, rips me to shreds or something. You know, it was one of those kind of deals. So I figured God's word doesn't come back void. If I'm a good testimony, they'll remember that. that you know, so it was fine. So uh, one of them asked me about Gentiles at Beth Messiah. How does that work? How does it work? How do, you know, what do I, yeah. and, and I said, oh, well, because we share uh, this faith and trust in the God of Israel and Messiah Yeshua, uh, we maintain our own personal identities, uh, but anybody can open the ark, anybody can read the Torah and, you know, and participate and be members. And the teacher, I'll never forget, the teacher was, was like, I very rarely use the word, was dumbfounded. The teacher was like, what? How can you, how can you do that? I don't understand. Like, how can that be? And that moment crystallized, of course, the radical understanding of the new covenant. It's radical to be Jews and Gentiles and worship together, not ecumenically, but together as one. That's radical. And it is the presence of the Ruach HaKodesh that brings that about, which is another way to say a manifestation of the presence of Yeshua uh, in, our, in our midst. Uh, and, uh, and so when you get back here to, now how can it be? How can we do that in this world? Ah, what does freedom mean in the Bible? Okay, so if you go to uh, Galatians chapter 1, go to the first chapter, in verse 3 and 4. It says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us out of this present evil age according to the will of God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Well, we know that Yeshua died for our sins and, uh, and rose from the dead. And, uh, and when we th- if this verse, if verse 4 said, who gave himself for our sins, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. You know, we all might say, well and good. And I will say, boy, I wish I would have said this last week. Anyway, it's all right. Uh, I, that oftentimes when we think about freedom, we think about, okay, I'm released from the bondage of sin. And so now I don't have to yell and scream all the time. Or I don't have to follow that temptation. I can be a better me. I can be a better person. And oftentimes we think in terms of what uh, our relationship with God is, is that now I'm a better person, I'm easier to get along with, or maybe things will go better for me in my life. That is not what it's all about. That's, that is like a part of what it's all about. Now, about things going better in our lives, the Bible doesn't promise that individually. Otherwise, the apostles would have lived very different lives. Otherwise, Yeshua would have lived a very different life. Otherwise, Paul would have never gotten arrested. 
He must have done something really bad that God would stick it to him and that he'd get arrested. I mean, that's, that's the logical conclusion if we think that if, when we come to faith in Yeshua, good things are supposed to happen to us. Or that it's just all about a personal rehabilitation. It's not. Because of the other words that are in that verse. We must not limit Yeshua dying for our sins to simply my own personal relationship with God and my own personal uh, uh, redemption. But something much bigger has taken place. Because he says, who gave himself for our sins in order that, he doesn't say that I might be a better me, but that he might deliver us, us all, out of this present evil age. Wow, that's big. That he might deliver us out of this present evil age. Now, he's not talking about like a time tunnel, you know, uh, or uh, talking about, uh, you know, time traveling and that he's, deli- he's taken us out of this world into another world. No, we're still here, warts and all. But what he's saying is, is that a new age has, become, has begun. A new age, a new worldview, a new way of thinking, a new way of living. Uh, the Alam Haba, the world to come when uh, God is king, living in this world, and, 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 you know, and we look forward to that, to that day of this complete full redemption. What he's saying is it's begun. Our bodies have not yet been redeemed. The world has not yet been redeemed. But we are now becoming part of what God is going to do in the future. So there's a, a presence of the future living within us all now as as believers in Messiah. So being delivered out of the present evil age means we, we have a whole different way of understanding the world, of understanding ourselves. He says it again. Paul, actually, when you get right down to it, he says a few things many different ways. Another way he says this is in Colossians chapter 1, in verse 13, when he says, For he delivered us, from the domain of darkness to the, and, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. The domain of darkness equals this present evil age. Okay? The domain of darkness, the domain uh, of hopelessness, uh, the domain uh, where uh, you know, it's all about uh, my, uh, my personal self and the world seems to be pretty lousy, so there's really not much hope for any of us, or uh, the domain where sin rules, rules in, in general, rules me, rules us, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So what is the difference in this passage uh, and the other passage here? He explains a little bit about what we've been delivered to. In Galatians chapter 1, we've been delivered out of the present evil age. Here, by his death for our sins and resurrection. But here he says what we've been delivered to, the kingdom of his beloved son. Yeshua is our king. He is the one to whom we have to please, the one we have to do. He is the one who rules us. He is therefore Lord of our our lives. He also says here, It says in verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. We have been redeemed. That means we belong to him. 
and uh, the forgiveness of our sins. Sin no longer uh, is the ball and chain of our lives. But we might be thinking, I don't feel that way. Ah, Paul says in another place about remembering this, knowing this, and remembering this. And uh, that's in Romans chapter 6, when he says this. He says uh, um, in verse 5, For we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with the Messiah, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Messiah, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. So even consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God and Messiah Yeshua. So it's very important, these words, knowing this and consider this. He's not saying that you literally have died. You literally have died and you literally are a different person now. No, I'm still me, you know. But I need to reckon myself. I need to, I need to understand myself. I need to know that a transaction has really taken place in my life. And even though I may still live in this world, I have a different understanding of the whole thing. Because I live in, in the world to come, yet I know that I'm still here. What does that mean? I have a different worldview. I understand myself differently. I understand the world differently. I understand the culture differently. I understand God differently. I understand my role in his world differently. And so, therefore... I can now uh, view this world and see what others may not see. Why are things the way they are? Why uh, uh, is our nation the way it is? Or uh, this world the way it is? Why? Uh, because of, the, of rebellion against God. Of rebellion against God in a million different ways. We're called to live an alternative way of life. We're called to live differently. And that's what our freedom is. Our freedom is now not to be bound to sin, but alive to God. And to be able to overcome the sin around us. And therefore, because the entranceway into this new way is the uh, forgiveness of our sins. So we need to repent of our sins. That's the doorway in into the kingship of God, as we like to say, of Yeshua. And now I can interact with people in a different way. But because we're still living in this world, it takes time, it takes our whole life to begin to live this way and begin to think this way. And for the Ruach to empower us to overcome this sin in our lives. But the focus is not about my life. The focus is about what God is doing in this world and living that way. I do not have to dislike that person now. If this person did something to me, I do not have to get them back. I have a different way of life. I'm empowered by God to live his way in this world. And this is where transformation comes. You know, in Romans chapter 12, we read here um, in, verses, uh, in verse 2. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so what he's saying to the believers is, live the transformed life. Don't live as a new person the old way. As believers in Yeshua, we are conformed to this world when we forget, when we forget to reckon, or when we forget to remember, we forget to know that, wait a minute, I, I have been redeemed. I belong to God. I uh, have been freed from this bondage. And so it's not freedom to do whatever I want. I'm, I'm not empowered to do anything I want. I'm now empowered to be a slave to God, which works itself out in being a slave to others. So primarily, what does it mean to live in this new world? It means to be a servant or a slave to other people. That's why Yeshua said the two greatest commandments is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves, because they're two sides of the same coin. You cannot love God without loving other people and demonstrating that in the way that we interact with each other by blessing one another, just like man and woman, just like Israel and the nations. We are called to bless one another. We are free to bless. Freedom is being able to be the, the people we were created to be. We were created to bless others. And that is a manifestation and a demonstration of the blessing of God in our lives. Whether we are talking about within the community of faith or outside. And so it's very important for us to remember that, yes, First and foremost, we're called to demonstrate this way of life with each other so the world can see it. But then secondly, we're called to demonstrate uh, this way of life to the outside, right? To disseminate this way of life to the outside by loving the unlovable, whatever that may be. That's why it's important for us to, when we talk about, you know, uh, at our conference, someone said, uh, do Jewish people... I uh, appreciate when we say things like, uh, I love the Jewish people, you know, uh, that kind of thing. And, uh, and, and, and so the answer that was given was very good. It was, it's not so much about saying, uh, you know, oh, I love the Jewish people, but do things that resonate with the Jewish community. Like be concerned about the same causes, the same issues. And what a great opportunity for us as individuals we're not quite there institutionally, but as individuals, for us to disseminate the love of God by serving uh, you know, different opportunities that might come our way uh, of those who, uh, those who don't know the Lord. Uh, and so one illustration would be to get involved with you know, uh, different drives in the Jewish community to you know, uh, to be philanthropic, to give, to be helpful. Others are just in our culture and reaching out individually with the love of God uh, to those uh, who uh, seem to be unreachable, you know? And so that is, uh, 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 you know, very, very, very important. And so let me just finish by saying, let us not view our freedom uh, as, uh, you know, my, uh, my freedom now 
to uh, uh, um, do whatever I want to do. Uh, uh, my freedom now is uh, not uh, what we might call spiritual entitlement, right? I know the Lord, I'm under grace, God will give me what I want uh, because I'm entitled, because I belong to Yeshua. You know, I can do all things, whatever that might be. I can do all things, I can have all things, I, you know, I, it's great. Uh, That is uh, that is not uh, uh, what the the freedom that God is talking about. Uh, It's not the freedom to just seek acceptance by being like another group of people. I think I'll do this so they'll like me, uh, you know, and then then I'll be free in the Lord. Uh, That is not it. Uh, Whether we're Jewish or not Jewish or whatever cultural background we may be, uh, God created us. The, you know, who we, uh, who indeed we are. Uh, um, we're not free to exchange one set of rules and regulations for another set of rules and regulations. But we are free to walk in the power of the Ruach, and when we walk in the power of the Spirit of God, we will truly be a blessing to others because, how is it described? To be a blessing to others uh, is to uh, demonstrate love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and things like that, as opposed to the deeds of the flesh, uh, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, uh, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, uh, it goes on and on, and things like those. Uh, and so may we, uh, as we uh, come toward these holidays, uh, may we be a blessing to others. May we be a blessing to others by speaking into their lives, by all the many different ways that we can be a blessing. Uh, you know, the Bible has many different illustrations of one another's. And some of them are like admonishing one another. Uh, or correcting one another. Sometimes that's necessary too in, in blessing. Uh, but the point is, is that we are we're loving, we're slaves to one another. And so uh, let us understand, wow, we've been delivered from selfishness. We've been delivered from it's all about me uh, to I, uh, I love others. And so much so, that I can demonstrate that in a radical new way. And so uh, may we uh, remember that as we uh, enter the new year. Lord God, uh, we do pray, Lord, that we might demonstrate your love toward us by radical love of a differentiated unity. May we realize that you've called us to be different. No two people are exactly the same. No two people groups are exactly the same. Men and women are not exactly the same. Lord, thank you, God, for that. Uh, And Lord, may we demonstrate your love in that we are able to interact with each other uh, and demonstrate your love toward one another. May the world see it. May the world desire it. May the world experience it in Messiah Yeshua so that the day will come when the Egyptians and the entire Arab world and Israel will experience oneness in you. And Lord, if that can happen there, it can happen here. And we thank you and we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.